Yeah. I'm looking for a transporter. Welcome to Now Playing's Transporter Retrospective Series. Toss him a seatbelt. Hosted by Arnie. You really want to play superhero, don't you? Jerry. So much can drive. Yes, he can. And Jacob. People will always need guys like me, right? Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new Transporter movie review. It's playtime for me. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. With you, it's always complicated. Very hush-hush stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Trust him on this one. Now drive. Set it off. Discussing Transporter 2, starring Jason Statham, Alessandro Gasman. Gasman, not Gusman or something. I don't know. I was just thinking of the Gasman from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Alessandro Gasman, Amber Valletta, Kate Nauta, Francois Berlan, Keith David, <laughs> not David Keith, Matthew Modine, directed unequivocally this time <laughs> by Louis Leterrier. This is Arnie. I'm the cure for what ails you. I'm the only cure for what ails you. And this is Jerry. And I don't make promises I don't keep. This is Jacob, the host whose problems aren't medical, but psychological. That explains why you didn't recommend last week, right? No, no, that that was stated fact that that's not recommended. <laughs> well, we are back for Transporter 2 because the first one made so much money on video they realized they had a franchise here. Louis came back. Luca Besson is still writing behind the scenes with a new co-writer now, Robert Mark Kamen. You may know him from the Karate Kid retrospective series we did. He wrote all three. He also wrote Dolph Lundgren's Punisher and Luke Besson's The Fifth Element. What he didn't write was Mission Impossible 2. Or did he? But... This is their chance now to make a full franchise and to try to make some serious money at the box office. I didn't see this. I'm not even sure I was aware it came out in 2005. It opened in August, and I think I was still seeing Star Wars Revenge of the Sith at that point. I mean, it was a dense summer. I looked up when this film came out and all the things that came out around it, and I'd seen so many of them, but not this. Wedding Crashers. <laughs> the Island. <laughs> what are you going to get to the good ones? The Devil's Rejects. Stealth. Sky High. The Dukes of Hazard reboot with Johnny Knoxville and Sean William Scott. You paid money to go see that? Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. No! Oh, gosh. Red Eye. I saw all of these films, but skipped The Transporter 2. Well, and Fantastic Four would have come out a couple weeks before this, right? 2005? Yeah, that was way back in June. But yeah, that was right there. And of course, one I didn't see in theaters, Spielberg and Cruz's War of the Worlds. Well, that's a show that has gone down in infamy, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> I definitely have not seen this one. I was told, oh, by my friend, you got to watch that first one. And the second one's just as good. I watched that first one. I'm like, ain't no way I'm going to that second one. <laughs> I'm not going to argue it's just as good, but I'm not going to watch it to find out. Oddly enough, as much as I enjoyed the first one when I rented it and saw it, I for some reason, never made any effort to go see this movie. I, I actually started to watch it on TV one time. It like came up on Stars or something. And I saw something in the movie that we'll talk about later. And I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to go find something else more productive to do, like clean out the garage. Because there's no BMW in this one, right? That's what it was. That didn't help. The fact that Frank has switched his sponsorship to an Audi A8. Uh, hey, an Audi's a pretty cool car. I'm, I'm not down it, but to me, it's about the Beamer. Well, besides the Beamer getting replaced, what else is different here? Arnie, give us a plot. Well, in Transporter 2, Jason Statham's kung fu car driver Frank has moved to Miami. And as a favor, he's working as a very legal chauffeur for a young boy named Jack. Jack's parents are divorced, and while his mother Audrey has a crush on Frank, it's stymied by her argumentative ex-husband Jefferson, played by Matthew Modine? We will definitely be talking about what he's doing here. <laughs> One Saturday, when Frank is taking Jack to a doctor's appointment, things go awry. Jack's doctors and nurses were killed and replaced by Russian agents. Doesn't that happen all the time? I hate that. <laughs> Pediatricians, you can't, it's just, you never know what's going to go down. It's all because of Obamacare. <laughs> <laughs> and they try to inject the boy with a highly contagious, deadly virus. Frank fights them off, but their lead gunwoman Lola traps Frank in his car and kidnaps the boy. Lola's lover and boss, Gianni Shalini, and I will not be saying that last name again, holds Jack for $5 million ransom, but it's a ruse. Gianni actually has been hired to kill a number of DEA agents? By infecting <laughs> Jack with the virus, they hope that Jack will infect his father Jefferson, Matthew Modine, who will be speaking at a conference that evening, attended by a large number of DEA bigwigs. Wasn't this the plot of Mission Impossible 2, which was awful? Yes, it was the plot of that much better than the first one film. <laughs> I was writing in my notes, Chimera, Bellaphone. <laughs> <laughs> Frank figures out this plot, beats people up to get the cure for Jack, then chases down Lola and Gianni to get the rest of the cure. Big action spectacles take place, I'm sure we'll talk about them, but surprise of surprises, Frank succeeds, everyone's cured, and the trauma has brought Audrey and Jefferson back together, and Frank goes off to his next job as credits roll. Or should I say, as tires roll. Does he go off to his next job? Well, he gets a call. Someone's looking for a transporter at the end. But right away, this film... I thought I had put in the Transporter 1 disc again, because it starts off almost identical with Frank getting his car all ready. It, it, it is an Audi this time, instead of a BMW, so if you could tell the difference, you might notice that. But I'm like, this is the same setup. They're doing the same thing. He's in a garage. He's getting ready to drive. But again, they're going to go for the joke. I guess I should just expect that. I feel like this one's even more cartoonish than the last one, and right away... What, a schoolgirl or, or, or a prostitute in a schoolgirl outfit, like, puts a gun to his head and you're like, oh, is this a job gone bad? No, it's just getting carjacked. With this opening, I mean, I mentioned last show there was a Transporter TV series, and the fact that they're in a garage and Frank's getting ready and we're doing the 360 of the car, it feels like a TV series opening. It's like, this is the opening credits from the last film, too, and then we're just going to go a different direction with it. But I like the direction they go. Again, we are already stated as being opposite sides on the Transporter humor fence, Jacob. I was laughing. 
I wanted a better joke. Like, I was wondering. So, you know, these four guys come out and he beats them all up, of course. Again, adequate action, I guess. I, I felt like there's a lot of space here. He could do more, but he beats him up. There's some good punches, but then he confronts the girl holding this gun. And I'm like, oh, what? what is it? Really a water gun? And he knows, but he's like, go home to your mommy. Like, it's it was anticlimactic to me. Like, I wanted him to be smart enough because that's one of the things they've told us, at least. And we've seen him pretty smart in that last film that, yeah, he might have noticed the safety was on. You know, that cliche that you see in action films where a person doesn't actually know how to use a gun. But the punchline fell flat. If the punchline landed for me, I probably would have liked it more. Yeah, I was glad that this opening scene was pretty quick. There were some things that Jason Statham did that I thought were really good action-y moments for him, but a couple of the people he takes down in sort of weird ways, so it certainly wasn't a stellar fight, but to me it set the mood, and I think the interaction with him and the schoolgirl was just, again, him outsmarting her and just saying, hey, look, I know she's not going to pull the trigger. She's not a killer. These four guys are schmucks, and this is just stupid. She probably doesn't know how to use it. She doesn't got the guts. Just go home and do your homework, and it was fine. It was kind of short. It was brief. I dug that and it was just a mix it up a little bit. He has a little trouble and then, yeah, hey, the joke, I'm going to be late. And I liked the fight there. I mean, I enjoyed Statham's martial arts in the last film. I'm glad we're going to get right into it here. It's going to adrenalize me a little bit. And I take it again as Frank's a bad mofo and he just has such a read on this girl. He knows not even to worry about her. He knows where she's coming from and that she's in high school and she doesn't look just like a high school girl to me, but does he really believe that she's like a school girl? Like he's like, go do your homework. I'm like, come on. Come on! This person is not going to any school. She is working the streets. I couldn't tell if he's trying to be funny or not there, because no way she's a senior in high school or whatever. Oh, yeah, I thought he was just being condescending. It's like, compared to me, you're just a schoolgirl. I don't think he was necessarily serious in so much as just putting a little salt in the wound. I wasn't sure, because she kind of had the sexy schoolgirl outfit going on there. And with the sweater and things, I kind of thought she might be a private Catholic schoolgirl. And that's not what their outfits actually look like, Arnie. You're watching the wrong kind of movies, if that's your impression. I went to a Catholic school, Jacob, so I do know what they look like. I've known some. They're, yeah, they don't look like that. Maybe I'm, I've checked out the wrong ones. It is Miami. I mean, <laughs> a, it is Miami, and B, obviously she sexed it up a little bit by making it a midriff-bearing shirt. That's what you do after the bell rings. <laughs> that's how she gets close and say, hey, can you help me? And... You know, any normal guy would be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll follow that. But not Frank. <laughs> He's too smart for that. Not me. I know that if I'm in a transporter movie and some woman does that, she's trying <laughs> to trick me. But the big trick here is the package that he has to pick up. He's picking up a kid at school. And I was wondering, he pulls up to that school. You see the kids getting out. I'm like, oh, I didn't think it would happen last week. And I'm like, maybe he did hook up with Lie and they're together now and they have a kid. And I'm like, nah, that kid doesn't look like he's got any Asian in him. This got to be someone else. But I did think for a second, oh, maybe this is his kid. <laughs> I didn't think that at all. That was like Furious 7 where poor uh, Paul Walker's pulled up in the minivan. Is, is that what you thought was going on? <laughs> And here what I thought, but I wasn't sure how he knew the kid, but given how last time he was involved in a kidnapping and dropped off lie, I'm like, I like this kid. This kid has charisma. I like how he comes in. He knows the rules of the car, <laughs> which are different than the rules of the transporter. Jerry, do you live by respect the man's car and the man respects you? Uh, That whole scene, I was like, 
that's kind of spot on. I mean, you know. That's what you've told your kids when they get in the car. <laughs> I've mellowed out here in the last couple of years when I switched in my BMWs, my Infinities, and things for a Prius. So it's not so much anymore. But yeah, when this movie came out in 2005, I'm like, oh, whoa, hey, what are you, what are you doing? You don't eat my car. What are you doing? Throw that away. I was that guy. So I love the repartee here. But there was a pit in my stomach, like, Frank, don't be kidnapping this kid. <laughs> oh, see, I never once thought that. No, he knew the kid too well. I wasn't sure. I knew he had a repartee with this kid. But given that the opening followed the last movie's opening so closely that I wondered if this film's plot would follow the last one's plot so closely where we start off with him doing something illegal and then changing his mind. I did think riddles were going to play a big part in this story. I mean, come on, Chekhov's riddle. You start off with this whole drive home. He's going through the rules and it's cut with him like doing this <laughs> riddle game. Like I thought that was actually going to pay off and like that was going to help the kid later on or something. No, it doesn't. I assumed and it kind of ends up being the case, but nobody knew it was going to be the case. But I kind of assumed that the child was kind of in constant danger of being a kidnapped victim or he was very important, his family was very important. I'm going back to Rush Hour, actually, is what I'm connecting to. Yeah, that's a lot like this, isn't it? Yeah, you've got a guy like Frank driving this kid because we need more than just a driver. Now, it ends up kind of playing out that way, but that's not why. We later learn that Frank is filling in for a buddy. Yeah, what? This is the most implausible thing of the whole movie. <laughs> Is that Frank has gone to Miami. It's specifically said in this movie he doesn't have friends. He talks about a friend coming over and Jack's mother, Audrey, says, oh, it's good to know you have friends. And then Frank's like, well, all right, he's not really a friend. He's a cop. So if Frank doesn't have friends, who is he doing a favor for? And why is he chauffeuring this like six to eight year old kid around? Because they're paying him a lot of money, I assume. We do find out later on, like, Audrey believes they become a target for kidnapping because Jefferson, the father and husband, he, some vague promotion or something, so everyone knows he's really rich because he's in the paper, so I thought, oh, maybe they got a bodyguard for that reason because they knew with their status now that they may be a target for such a thing. Well, that leads to my next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sentence you're going to say a lot. Well, no, really, it's all here in the beginning. Because when Frank drives Jack up to the house is where we're introduced to Jefferson Billings, played by Matthew Modine. We know early on that they're pretty wealthy based upon the house and that there's a chauffeur and all of this. But we're going to find out later that Jefferson is the target because he's giving a speech at a conference with the DEA? What does Jefferson do? <laughs> yeah, do, are we ever told what his actual job is? I thought it was going to be something to do with pharmaceuticals and I don't know, maybe a, I, I was thinking a lot about Mission Impossible too. I'll be honest. I was going back to that plot to try to figure this one out. Wiki says he's the director of the National Drug Control Policy, which I don't know if that's a real job. I know it's never stated in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wanted to validate that it was not said, like, as a dropped line, because if it was, I kind of missed it. It is a real job. It's currently Michael Botticelli. Well, I hope he knows Frank Martin, then. <laughs> 
Stay away from your kid if he's coughing. <laughs> yeah, apparently whatever he does, he's influential enough that he's going to make life hard. He's going to say something to these people at this conference that's going to make drug lords' lives a nightmare. It's weird. No, no, they just want, we're going to find out the Colombian cocaine cartel. Like, not the marijuana dealers, not the meth dealers, it's the cocaine cartel. The marijuana dealers are way too mellow <laughs> to do anything like this. Go next to the border of Mexico. Those ones ain't too mellow. But yeah, the, the cocaine cartel, they just want the DEA killed to like send a message. The fact that Jefferson and Jack are involved is totally inconsequential. They could have gone about this plot a number of ways. They just needed someone who's going to expose to all of them, but maybe he was the only one with a kid then. I don't know. <laughs> You don't even need a kid. Inject uh, one of the waiters that's serving drinks. I don't know. We're going to find out. They're going to have to go to a plan B because if plan A would have worked, it would have been a really short movie. It would have cut out 60 minutes. What confused me at the beginning, though, is I thought Jefferson was going to be the bad guy. We see that him and Audrey, they have a tense relationship. They're in the background arguing when Frank is dropping off Jack. And then we see a security camera and, like, Frank is talking to Audrey. I'm like, oh, she's getting a little saucy with him. Like, I thought it was Jefferson, like, spying on Frank because he suspected him fooling around with his wife or something. But no, I guess the bad guys just somehow got a camera in there and were able to spy on them. See, and I thought he was a bad guy, not because of the camera, but because it's Matthew Modine. <laughs> I mean, this guy's been in like a hundred films. This guy starred in Full Metal Jacket. I've seen this guy in so much, admittedly not in like two decades. But yeah, what was he doing in 2005 though? <laughs> yes, Full Metal Jacket he was in. Is there anything else of that status he was in? Notting Hill? <laughs> mm -hmm. For you, yes, I would believe you'd see those two in the same way. Bye Bye Love with... Paul Reiser? Never saw Keep it. Keep going. Married to the Mob with Michelle Pfeiffer. All right. I mean, yeah, these are movies I recognize their names. I, they don't stick <laughs> yeah. out as Matthew Modine vehicles for me. They have an IMDb page. It counts. But the fact that he's in here. All right. This isn't going to be an A-list filled cast. This movie was made for $35 million compared to the last one's $20 million. But still, you bring in Matthew Modine, I think he's going to have a point. Instead, he's kind of the ultimate MacGuffin. He really is just in this movie to be a jerky father and ex-husband. It's kind of a clever cast, though, in the sense that he's not so A-list or not even A-list that you have to pay him a lot. But it is sort of that thing that makes you wonder, well, why'd you get Matthew Modine? He must be in on it. Huh, no, he's not. I guess that's ironic. It seems like a waste of a Matthew Modine for me. I think you could have given him something to do because whether or not he's still A-list... He's still a very experienced, decent actor with name recognition. Although, I guess this is the biggest role for a white man without a Russian accent in the entire film, <laughs> other than Frank. Yeah, and the main villain, Gianni, who at first I thought were going back to China or Japan or something. It's like a ninja master. They all got their samurai suits on and they're fighting with like the bamboo swords to show how tough he is. But I think he's South American too. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. I guess they're trying to show us how tough he is while his wife or girlfriend, like, dances around in her underwear. Oh, that's what she's going to wear the entire movie. I thought you see these line of Russians, because, yeah, there's a lot of Russians in this film, and he's, like, talking to him. He's like, here is the poison and here is the antidote. And she's dancing around in her underwear, and you could see Dimitri. He's kind of, like, trying to glance at her, and I thought he's going to, like, shoot him to teach him a lesson. Hey, don't watch my girlfriend dance around naked like she 
she's just going to do in front of nobody. But no, it ends up not mattering, but except that she's going to do that the entire film. Audi may have sponsored this. I think maybe Victoria's Secret did as well, because she's only going to wear lingerie. No, 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 Jacob. This is French. Think about the French. That's why. That makes perfect sense. And in fact, you're going to love this. Like the last movie, this one has an unrated cut. It, mostly, it's a little bit more violent. But in the US PG-13 edition, they've added CGI to her bra so that you can't see her nipples. Whereas in the French version, it's a see-through bra. Oh, so it's like watching showgirls on cable where they paint bras on all of them. Yes, it's the most effective CGI in this entire movie, I will add. Oh, yeah, that, that's not saying a lot. We'll get there. Yes, I did not notice any fake bras in this film. <laughs> yeah, this whole guy, Gianni, is confusing to me. I loved the opening fight. I thought they brought in somebody who could fight really well so that we had someone of equal capability to Frank. But... Because this person was fighting in a full headgear, I also knew whoever the actor was was not able to do these moves. <laughs> That's certainly the setup I would have guessed they were going for. We'll get to how that plays out, of course. But yeah, it's just kind of weird because he's doing the whole samurai thing and you get the two bamboo sticks going through the mask. But you're like, hey, what happened to his head? You know, and oh, he's slipped out. He's that good. And yeah, to me, this was just very generic. I mean, this was just insert cliche bad guy here and yeah wall street and mr kwai weren't like darth vader or anything but i got the sense this was just any old hack being a bad guy in a in a movie it was feeling james bond to me this was feeling like the man with the golden gun showing off his shooting prowess at the beginning of that film for no apparent reason other than to tell the audience he's a badass <laughs> i did go with this one a little bit more because it is so cartoonish i mean especially later on with lola when she's just running around her under we're shooting everything up but yeah i'm like oh, okay we got a ninja master so we'll have ninja versus frank that's gonna be cool doesn't turn out that way which just like the riddles you got so many russians but you don't know shekhov's rule when you set something up it's gotta pay off <laughs> the other thing they set up in these early scenes though and i was not expecting this with the movie being set in miami but inspector tarconi's back too oh i was hoping he wasn't going to come back but yeah they found a reason it's more of a cameo he'll show up to do a bunch of slapstick stuff throughout the film he's going to cook for the us marshals and make funny french faces while he's hacking a us marshal computer and getting caught that's the thing he's only there to create and i'm not sure why it's important now but to create some plausible reason of how frank gets some of his intel he's got somebody on the inside who can infiltrate and to me that's kind of a waste i took him as here for comic relief you know i've mentioned paul reiser once in this film but i'm thinking of paul reiser's role in the first two beverly hill cop movies especially the second one where he's the guy who axel calls for some information and to cover him and every time you see him on screen he's doing something funny and something amusing is going on apart from the action but we find out that Gianni and his group, they've been spying on Jack's family because, help me understand this, so it's Jack's birthday, they're going to throw him a surprise birthday. I'm assuming it's a Saturday, but they're going to take him in to get his immunization shots for the flu on a Saturday? It's definitely a Saturday because she says to Frank, hey, I know it's a weekend, I hate to ask you to do it. Yeah, this is like shooting through doors. It's just, come on, there ain't no doctor open on Saturday to do a common flu shot. Go to CVS if you want to do that on a Saturday. Actually, my doctor is open on Saturday for flu shots. Uh, really? That's not a weird thing for a pediatrician's office, I wouldn't think. 
out here, you're going to urgent care if you need something on the weekend. To me, the weirdest thing, though, is you don't ask a friend, a buddy, or even an employee that you've known for a month to take your kid to the doctor. They don't have guardian rights to authorize yeah. any procedures. He wasn't going to get a shot. He was saying, I hope I don't get a shot. She said, it's just his annual checkup, no big deal. But me or my wife take my kids to the doctor, not, hey, next door neighbor, I'm kind of busy. Would you mind taking it? No, that's weird. <laughs> I actually went with it. How long has he been driving for them? I mean. A month. All right, but a month is a while. It's a twelve no, year. And Audrey's got the hots for him. She wants to bang him. She's going to show up drunk one night trying to sleep with him, which I find hilarious because he sends her on her way knowing she's drunk. She gets in her car to drive home. She got there. <laughs> <laughs> the mom, she trusts him a lot. No one else is going to trust him, but she will. I don't know that the doctor would allow it, though. I think you're dead on in that. Yeah. That, like, if one of your children was taken to the doctor by the next door neighbor because you're too busy to do it, I think there'd have to be some power of attorney or something there, some consent being able to be given. But, of course, it doesn't matter because all the doctors have been killed. Yeah, Lola and the Russians have shown up to take over the doctor's office. Frank is supposed to be smart. I mean, the fact that he sees Dimitri in this lab coat, like, no one looks like they're in the medical profession here. I love the humor here, though, when Dimitri looks down at his vest to remember his own name. Yeah. I mean, I'm finding this funny, but I agree. I thought Frank was supposed to be smart and that he doesn't immediately intervene was a bit odd. It takes him too long to say we're leaving. Yeah, he has to, what, see a tattoo on Lola? And the other thug had the name of someone where she just said, oh, he's out. I didn't think that that was necessarily like, hey, Frank's not bright, but I think they had to let us see it just happen in a certain order. But I mean, the fact that he got it at all, I think they're trying to play that, hey, Frank's pretty smart. He picked up on all this. He just, it was in movie time, not real time. <laughs> the problem is you could have cut this whole tension because the tension doesn't build because they don't even give the kid the shot at this point with this disease. They're going to drop that needle because Frank will show up because they take forever to inject this kid. You think you just grab him and shoot him up, but they're going to take forever. So Frank's going to catch on and be able to bust into the room. He could have just confronted him right away. The plot would have carried out just as it does in the film. No, I think the plan was, was to make the kid think it was a normal routine doctor's appointment they'll give him a little shots send him home there's no concern if they had done it violently or grabbed the kid shot him real fast and pushed him out of the door then everybody knows something's up so i think they were probably trying to make it seem as normal as possible yeah when lola pulls out two guns and that nurse's jacket opens up i'm like oh she's just gonna run around in her underwear this entire film i have a hard time articulating it but there's something about a woman with garters and a bra soaking wet holding two Uzis that really works for me. And all that black mascara. Actually, yes, that mascara is hot. The continuity is a bit off. It gets darker and lighter from shot to shot, I noticed, because <laughs> there is so much around her eyes. But look, this is now a cartoon to me. So the tone's working a little bit better. Like that last one, I was never sure, am I supposed to take this serious or not? This one, I'm in the camp that you don't take it serious. How can you? But yet... 
to me, it's also like some of the more silly Bond films. I mean, would it be too out of place in a Bond film to have a woman in a negligee with Uzis? I don't think so. Jacob, I like your comparison to, you know, cartoony, kind of a comic book. I mean, she's sort of like a mystique level bad guy or any female comic book character who you know is not dressed practically at all. And it's can't be comfortable, can't be practical for combat and battle. Yeah, those heels she's wearing. I don't know how she gets around on those. You draw it or portray it for visual effects. So I'm going into live action comic book. People are constantly doing things they shouldn't be possible for them to do. They're dressed in ways that you wouldn't really be dressed in. I mean, forget body armor. She's barely wearing clothes. And that's that's weird for a terrorist, right? You mentioned Mystique. Does Lola have a mutant power? Because there's one shot in this movie, one shot, that I have no idea what's going on. Little Jack <laughs> and Frank are running from Lola. Jack hits the button for the elevator, and it, like, causes the sonic ripple that goes through the air vents and makes Lola aware of their exact location. Is she a bat? <laughs> I had to rewind this scene because I'm like, what is Me this too. button he hit? Was it an alarm? Like... I still don't know what they want to inject them with. So I'm like, maybe it turns them into mutants. Like maybe <laughs> they're testing something and she's been injected with it. They never, again, just like the riddles, just like the samurai ninja fighting. They're never going to go back to this super sonic power that she has. Didn't she just hear them talking through the vents? I think you guys are, it's weird the way they animate it. No, he pushes that button and you see blurry sound waves like go through the hall. And they're not talking. Talking at the time. It was just a button. I thought it was something like, let's get out of here, or, time to go, no. and it was just enough. I thought the kid said something that she just heard through the vents, because if you're, you know, connected upstairs, downstairs, one room, the other, and there's two vents connecting, it's easy to pick up on. So I just took it that, hey, we're just showing you how she was able to hear them through... The wall. Now, it's, it's weird to emphasize that. No, you just show her with her ear to a vent and you hear a little talking noise if you yes. want to do that. You yes. don't show sound waves traveling through the office building. You do if you're filming a comic book. <laughs> this was making me think of Donnie Darko when he has the water come out of him telling him where he needs to walk. I mean, it's just really surreal and there's nothing like that in the entire rest of this movie. There's superheroic stunts, but... There's no mutant power of hearing like that. It was just so strange. It is kind of like they were starting a theme they just abandoned. Yeah. No, I, I really thought mutants were going to come from those needles full of viruses that they're going to shoot people up with. Like, that's the level I was thinking on at this point because of that one scene. Well, you got that one Russian thug, the big guy. I mean, he was practically Colossus. But it also feels like something we would see in Lucy or some of these other films. Just a weird one-off flourish. It's a little flair for visual style, just to do something new and kind of music video-y in it. And in this film, I'll go with it, but it did confuse the hell out of me, and I did rewind it to see. Did little Jack just shoot like a wave like Banshee? What's going on? <laughs> No, for style, style, it's got to go throughout the film. Like Lucy, where you get all these weird like evolution shots, it's throughout the film. It's not a one-time thing. It's just, it's confusing if you only show it once. It's, again, a film, I will let it set up whatever rules it wants to set up. Like, again, we see them 
using doors to block bullets, cheap doctor's office doors to block bullets. But what I'm saying is a film, you give it room to set up the rules of its universe. With this, it you do a one-time thing. It's just confusing. It's not setting anything up. I don't know what to expect. But it's, again, I'll go back to Crank. Crank would do something like this and do it once and never touch it again. Mm, well, maybe we'll do Crank someday. I remember them repeating motifs like that. But Lola, completely unexpected for an exceptionally stick-thin blonde in a bra, gets the drop on Frank. Well, with the help. Frank gets back to the house, but there's a... I always thought the laser sights were red dots. They got a green dot on Jack. I don't know what that green dot is from, because we'll see Lola come from a different angle. So they had to have someone hiding at the house? Gianni explains that on the phone. When he talks to Frank, he says, Hey, I got a guy, and he rattles off the type of gun and bullet. He's like, Hey... I know you got bulletproof glass, but is that going to stop this kind of bullet? So it's clearly not Lola. There's someone else. Jefferson and Audrey have horrible security at their house. Then if you just got snipers <laughs> hanging out there. Oh, well, hey, if a movie like one had taught us anything, it, I mean, that guy could have been like seven or eight miles away. <laughs> hey, they were having a birthday party. A whole bunch of kids were there. It's hard to keep track of every sniper on the premises. <laughs> I just thought it was weird. Again, I'm, I'm like. Put the phone on mute and tell the kid to duck so Gianni doesn't hear him say that and shoot that thing in reverse. But no, the surprise is Lola shows up. She shot some more cops. Benson, I, I, he must have a thing for killing cops in his films. She kills some more cops, takes their car and shows up and drives away with Frank and Jack. And this is an awesome car chase. So much better than anything we got in the first one. I love when they go to the parking ramp and we actually get to see multiple levels of cars going up the ramp. Yeah, no, there's some great shots where they're all curving around, and I can't believe it. Did Fast and Furious 7 steal from this film? There they're jumping buildings in Abu Dhabi, but we see it here first. I mean, it's ridiculous that that Audi doesn't get smashed up when it goes through a cinder block wall, but Frank <laughs> drives from one floor to another in a shot that looks very similar to what we saw in Fast and Furious 7, and it kind of spins around when it hits that floor and hits all the rail, and just, it was very similar to that scene in Fast and Furious 7. And also just hits the ledge where it might be yeah. falling off. I agree. I was thinking that, and I was thinking, ah, but this one's practical. No, there, were, there was some CGI involved here. It's one of the few convincing CGI shots in the movie, immediately followed by one of the worst <laughs> CGI shots in the movie, where she shoots a helicopter, and it looks like Sharknado-level bad explosion. Oh, we do get so many Sharknado-level effects <laughs> in this film. But yeah, I was so, again, I had rewind i'm like this helicopter shows up you're like ah oh, damn they outran the police but now here they are with their helicopter and she just shoots it and it blows up it reminded me of duck hunt for some reason remember <laughs> duck hunt where you just <laughs> shoot it and it's gone well it reminded me of jack nicholson the batman pulling out the the big gun and with one shot taking down a multi-million dollar uh you know stealth fighter it's like she's got a cool gun and it's just a helicopter relatively fragile i guess but is she taking it out and blowing it up with just one pull of the trigger? Come on. One thing, though, worth mentioning, in addition to a lot of nipples, the international release has improved CGI, and I got to see some of the scenes. And <laughs> How did they downgrade the CGI? No, the no, it was released later. What we're seeing oh, okay. is the theatrical release, and for theatrical release, either they didn't have the money or the time to do it right, and... For American audiences, they just, rather than go through the rigmarole of releasing a new version, gave us the crappy theatrical release, but they did do post-release cleanup of the CGI wow. that makes it look a lot better on that international release. 
plus nipples. I definitely recommend that version if you're going to watch this film. <laughs> what did you guys think? Because one of the things that kind of annoyed me was Frank does some heroics. You know, it's just Frank being Frank. He gets the kid out. But then they just end up with the kid anyway. It kind of makes me wonder if... I mean, I, I get that they did it in front of the mom. So they kind of thought Frank was in on it. And then Lola had to get in the car for them to have that chase scene. But it, to me, just seemed like, well, crap, they just ended up with the kid anyway. No, this film could be a half hour long. <laughs> like, all of this is inconsequential. This whole plan B to kidnap Jack and to have the ransom, none of this matters. Jefferson's not even the target. Like, it's the DEA. Like, there are so many ways they could have gone about. They could have just blown up the building. That gun looks like it could blow something up by hitting it. I mean, there could have been so many ways this plot could have carried out that none of this matters. But let me play devil's advocate here. Like the last film, I said that film was nothing but a series of meaningless dialogue to string together a whole bunch of action. Yes, the bad guys get Jack anyway, but we had what we all praised as a visually appealing car chase with the building jump. And I think it shows Frank's been outsmarted. He may be able to beat Lola and her goons, but he is outmatched when Gianni gets involved. It sets him up as a more badass villain than he will ever prove to be. <laughs> yeah, but he's not too outsmarted because they stick a bomb, or I thought it was a GPS tracker at the beginning. I figured that's how they knew exactly where to go to the house. That's what I thought at first. But I, I guess they knew where the house was because they were surveilling it anyway. But yeah, Frank still sees the reflection on water again through no smarts of his own. Just happenstance notices a bomb at the bottom of his car and Gianni can't even blow him up because, oh, this is so ridiculous. Like Frank knows there's a bomb. They don't want Frank. They just want Jack, so they tell Frank to get out of there. They don't just shoot him or something. Let him drive away, get far enough away to blow up his car, but he knows the bomb, so he flips his car corkscrew style so a crane knocks the bomb off. Oh. Crazy cartoony stuff, but... Oh, don't say it. James Bond did this kind of stuff with Roger Moore, and it was bad. Paul Walker did in the sixth movie. If you just take this as the cartoon you guys mentioned it to be... It's just hysterical. Again, am I laughing at this movie or am I laughing with this movie? I'm laughing. <laughs> do you remember when I said there was a scene that made me turn the movie off and then go do laundry? <laughs> Is it this? It was knocking the bomb off with the crane. Because A, I thought it was kind of dumb, but then I just didn't like the way it looked. I didn't think it... The CGI and everything, the way they animated it, I just thought it, it looked bad and I thought it was dumb. That's my problem. If this was appealing looking, if, yeah, the CGI, if the stunt work was really good, I could go with this, but it does look cheap. They got more money, but it doesn't really show on the screen. The score, it's not annoying me. It's real mediocre, but it's not pissing me off the entire film. So <laughs> maybe they spent more money there. I actually liked some of the musical choices here. I felt like they spent a little bit more money on it, and some of the score is actually not bad mid-2000s techno. I felt like I was watching this scene from Transport to the video game, you know, to where it was that in-engine, in-game footage of it, but it was Xbox level of animation for it. But that's why I've never seen this movie before, because when I first watched it, I stopped here. <laughs> I could understand why, but I was actually intrigued. What about Chimera? What about Bellerophon? What about Jack? <laughs> well, yeah, Frank's going to go back to the doctor's office for some reason. Clues. He, I mean, I guess he's got to go back there and just say, hey, did they leave anything behind? Can I connect who these people are? You know, some clue, which he finds. A pretty big clue, actually. Well, he downloads some video surveillance footage onto an iPod. I know they had a hard drive feature. I 
don't know if you could do that kind of stuff with it, though. You could. You actually okay. could. And this was a plot point in another movie, Runaway Jury. Didn't see that one. Oh, it's actually really good. John Cusack. Can't even place it. Okay. I thought you had to completely reformat your iPod in order for it to become a hard drive, though. No, so. no, they had a feature like that where you didn't have to erase it all, but I don't know. He plugs it into a DVR and downloads footage, but then, yeah, he finds the needle with the virus in it, and then it gets broken. A cop shoots it out of his hand. Like, again, like, they set something up, and then that plan is defeated right away. Well, I like the way the story goes at this point. I like that... Frank's on the aggressive side. I also like the comedic scenes with the inspector. He's at Frank's house cooking and baking. and Yeah, if you don't get that he's supposed to be there for comedic relief, like he's given this bad vending machine sandwich by the U.S. Marshals when he's interrogated and then they cut scene and he's got this full like French cuisine that he's doing his creme brulee with the torch and everything. I guess I smiled a little. He's French, don't you get it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I get the stereotype. I feel like there's a lot of stereotypes in this film. Like when we see the those thugs at the beginning and then later we'll see they're all african-american and then we'll see all these taxi drivers that are jamaican and it's just i feel like we get a lot of stereotypes in this film yeah but i like that he's taken in and because he's a cop he's given food he's not in handcuffs he is apparently forced to stay there and sleep on a sofa with no surveillance whatsoever yeah, and for some reason, he'll, like, break into Gonzalez's computer to look up information. He does it at one time, and no one notices, and then he does it again, and they're like, we got an alert! Someone's breaking into the identification system! I think that's because no one was there, was the big thing. When everybody was in the office, they're like, oh, somebody's using their computer. Yeah, it was weird because you see him like in a cell in one scene and then he's let free. It's so he can make funny faces at the camera. Like, oh, here comes the U.S. Marshals for me. Uh, let me make this face in the cubicle. Admittedly, he was a little broad for my tastes. I'll agree. Much like his cooking, I think he put in a little too much spice. But he's there to give Frank the information he needs to go on the attack for Dimitri, who apparently is a biologist in addition to a gun-carrying thug? Just a little hobby. I don't understand this lab that they find. Like, Frank walks in. Again... Mission Impossible 2, they got one guy that's been there for like four hours, one guy that's been there seven hours, they got antidotes, they, uh, yeah, I thought he was a thug, I didn't get that he was a biologist. I'm just guessing that Louis Leterrier and Luc Besson agree with me on my thoughts on Mission Impossible 2. That it could be done better? <laughs> that there's room for improvement? <laughs> I do agree. I don't know. Well, this is more entertaining. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah, and I like the fights that go on here again. Frank kicks some more cops' asses at the hospital, and they just so happen to shoot the one vial of this virus, which I guess it has to be injected. They aren't all going to die because it's airborne. Yeah, I guess you have to cough it out for it to be poisonous. It does take four hours to incubate, they said. That is true. So at one point, Frank, does he use coconuts as boxing gloves? No, watermelons. And it's awesome. Oh, I thought they were harder than watermelons. They, they look like, you know, if you ever see actual coconuts when they have the husk before you peel them and get to the brown stuff, they kind of look like that. They are extremely hard. That scene could have gone on a little bit longer for me. That It was too quick. It might have been coconuts, but I really thought they were green. I was thinking watermelons, and I was really thinking Incredible Hulk. I'm like, this is the precursor <laughs> for the Hulk picking up a car and using it as boxing gloves. It's why you say that already about Hulk, because I totally went Hulk hands. But with this chase of Dimitri, he gets on a jet ski and is chasing Dimitri, who's on a 
school bus full of old people. Now it is Miami, but yeah, <laughs> I, I do love like Frank gets on this sea doo or this jet ski, and there's like a woman on it, and he like picks her up and flips her over, so she's then like behind him taking the back seat. And that was an awesome maneuver. Oh, that was great. Yeah, because. I mean, I'm sure he totally did that. That had to have been very easy for him to do. So that that was cool. If you want to laugh, seek out the blooper reel where he throws her off the jet ski like five times. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be awesome. And they had to keep bringing in a different girl who was dry. <laughs> I did legitimately laugh, like, he chases this bus, and of course he does, like, the big jump and, like, skids into the bus, and, like, he gets off, and the girl's like, bye? Like, that, (laughs) I did get a good, legit chuckle out of that. It's like she immediately fell in love, is, like, what you guys were talking about with James Bond, you know, it's like, three seconds, he flipped me over, I'm in love. Forgot about the boyfriend. Yeah, I mean, this guy could obviously kick her boyfriend's ass, and women are drawn to the bad boy, so... (laughs) I go with it, and I do love how Dimitri reacts, and Frank tails him after he's injected, and he thinks it's with the poison, and Frank's smart enough, he lost the poison. I think he really would have injected Dimitri with the poison, except he lost it, and so he has to use water, saline. Yeah, and by this point, Jefferson and Audrey have gotten Jack back. Like, they paid the $5 million, there's a truck, and, like, they don't know if it's tied to explosives or what, but Audrey just runs and opens it up, and Jack's in there, and you're like, oh, okay, they saved him, but you know Jack's been injected, and now he's incubating that virus, he's gonna give it to his dad, he's then gonna kill the dumbest thing in the world, the entire DEA with it. <laughs> we knew something was up, because they never took the $5 million. Somehow, in two hours, Jefferson got $5 million in unmarked bills. $100 increments, yeah. But they never took the bag. They just left the kid there in that truck. And it's Keith David bringing in the bomb machine. Again, Keith David, what are you doing here, man? You have been in the thing. You were in Requiem for a dream. Why do you have such a minor part here? He could do so much better. I thought he would be in on it. Anytime I see somebody I know, I'm like, well, they're not important enough at this scene. They're going to become important later. No. Yeah, Keith David, I don't know. He's fine as like the head of this police force or this kidnapping force. He's got a good presence. And, you know, they try to play it like, oh, they think Frank might be in on this kidnapping. Again, doesn't ever really play out. Like he confronts the police at one time and has a little scene, but gets away and it doesn't matter much because they get their son no problem meanwhile frank he's chasing down the antidote there's like only two vials left that he knows of and one gets smashed and the other one in a really bad scene like he grabs and this trucker hits his brakes and that semi could stop on a dime which no they can't (laughs) (laughs) but i think the reason he had to go against the cops is because I think we've found a pattern in these movies. It's Frank against the world. His only aid is going to be the inspector who's working from the inside. I mean, last podcast, Jerry, you mentioned the Batman Commissioner Gordon thing. I think it's what we're seeing here. The cops want Batman as much as the criminals in some tellings of that story. No, I agree with you. I see it. That's why, I mean, I get that he's there to be comic relief, but I mean, his actual plot purpose is to give Frank information. I I think the inspector role could have been more. I mean, I don't know what, because he's obviously clearly out of his jurisdiction in Miami. And what does he know about local Miami crime scene and where to find people? I mean, it could have been a buddy cop movie where they're actually looking for things together. But I guess the inspector would probably just hold Frank back like whatever. 
I do love that Frank, like, he literally is like Batman. I think the best gag in this film, like, he's been doing all this fighting, his shirt's covered in blood, it's been torn up, it's <laughs> raining all of a sudden, and he goes to his car and he pulls out, like, this vac-sealed suit so he could put on his new outfit. I do totally love that. That is a f- joke that I just greatly enjoy. When he's in this one fight with this big dude, I just wrote down, this is the fight where all of his clothes get torn off. Yeah, it's like sleeve by sleeve. It's like a strip tease. It really was. I'm like, is this turned into Magic Mike now? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, he finds out where Gianni's place is. We find out Gianni, because this is a script based on like comic book logic, he's going to inject himself with the entire antidote, so you can't do anything to him. So Frank shows up at the house, and of course there's more fighting, and I love it, like, they all shoot at him, and they miss, and they're like, we need to get more ammunition, because none of them have extra clips. (laughs) They're like, but Frank's where all the ammunition is, so we're going to break out the hatchets again. (laughs) We're going to have, like, swords and axes and, like, any excuse. I love this fight, though. You need to get them to put down their guns so that you make a melee fight believable, and it's in these fights where I think Statham shines. I mean, anybody can run and duck from bullets. Not anyone can take a metal steel rod out of the ground and use it plus high kicks to be up like a dozen dudes yeah this is back to our jackie chan moment this is interacting with the environment i agree with you arnie this is why you have jason statham doing this and you showcase his skills if jackie chan was in this movie you do the exact same thing yeah the best jackie chan moment the best fight scene for me comes right after this blade scene with the fire hose which is straight out of a jackie chan film where he's as he's fighting with this hose and hitting people in the nuts with it he's also tying it around (laughs) them and then he turns the water on so it expands and they can't get away that is legitimately a good scene yeah and there's a lot i don't know if you know this particular movie it's not a rumble in the bronx level of notoriety but like there are some specific things in here that reminds me of jackie chan's first strike yeah. Particularly with the boat, uh, when he's climbing through the boat and ends up like basically, you know, as much earlier in the movie, but he ends up dropping that boat on that guy when he's like half out of it. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, a little bit more gruesome than what Jackie Chan gives you, but you know what I'm saying? I think he did a lot. I won't praise this movie in too many ways, but I think that was good stuff. I think that was up in the game a little bit for of what you do in a sequel. And of course, Frank is going to win. Every fight, Frank is going to win. But then he does find Gianni, who's going to just spill his entire evil nonsensical plan. I think you called it out, Jacob. There are so many better ways to kill DEA agents. This is like something from Stefano Romero on Days of Our Lives level crazy. (laughs) And the fact is that he leaves, so now Lola and... Frank can have their like final battle like now you know you're getting towards the end of the movie because now it's like just the big boss level like you fight your way through all the peons now we're going to get to the big bosses and this fight is a total letdown yeah there's these like beaded curtains or something and she's doing Cirque du Soul stuff on them I don't know why it doesn't look very good and then she just gets kicked on what is it a modern art installation that spikes <laughs> like I don't even know what happens to her it's like a bed of nails vertical I mean it does seem like something you'd see at MoMA but she deserves a harder fought death she was badass and sexy and she deserved more than this weird fake wire foo I mean she's going up against somebody who's doing most of his own stunts without wires she's obviously got a harness somewhere on her she's like crouching tiger hidden dragon tree jumping and she ends up on you talked about all this Chekhov stuff Chekhov's riddle Chekhov's everything where's Chekhov's bed of nails 
<laughs> yeah, we never see that. Something's got to draw your attention to it at the beginning of this film. It comes out of nowhere. I was a little let down with that, but it's just making time in this 88 minutes for a bigger <laughs> showdown with Gianni. Yeah, you could say bigger. Like, he's getting away on his plane. Frank, what kind of car is this, Jerry? He's stolen another car from Gianni. That is a Lamborghini Merciago Roadster. All right. And I was totally thinking Fast 6 now, right? (laughs) I mean, this is the same kind of thing. The airplane's taking off. Runway's not long enough, though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it felt like that same setup. I did crack up like, yeah, Frank is going to speed up and like grab onto the tire and that Lamborghini is going to smash like this Miami billboard, huge explosion. But you notice that car just keeps like going. It's the billboard that explodes. It's just bad pyrotechnics. Like that made me laugh like this explosion. And it's not even the car. It's not even pyrotechnics. It's some of this horrible CG. And every time we see this airplane from the outside oh, that he is on. This is Sharknado level. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like Mega Gator versus Shark is looking at this like that's some bad effects. You may as well got little Jack with one of his toy airplanes going, foo, phew, like by the camera just playing. <laughs> like that's how bad it is. Again, much better in the international release. That doesn't help what you guys saw though. And the fight on here, I thought that Jason Statham, he's such a master of everything that he'd be able to pilot this plane. And I completely forgot they have to keep Gianni alive because his blood is now the cure. So when the plane actually crashes into the water, it's the one moment it goes too far for me to suspend my disbelief. When the answer to an airplane crashing at full velocity into a body of water is leap backwards. (laughs) I don't understand that yet. Frank jumps he doesn't like jump out of the plane he just jumps from the front of the plane to the back of it like what does that i don't even understand how this plane works it's like doing flips and loop-de-loops just because the pilot's knocked out i mean and then he defeats gianni with an elbow like ninja master hello like nope i'm gonna elbow you put a life jacket on you and take you to the surface i did like to see the life vest for that i've always seen in airplane demonstrations in use for once (laughs) (laughs) You're struggling for some compliments here. Maybe a little bit. Once the uh, airplane CGI came, I I was like, okay, this is really bad. Well, and two at this point, once he has Gianni, though, here's what I'm thinking. The dad has already went to the hotel. He got sick. They've taken him off. By this time, he's come in contact with... Dozens and dozens of people who have contacted dozens and dozens of people. So by it not, you know, needing four hours to incubate, does that mean that, I mean, everyone the dad's come in contact with, since the dad's coughing, they're picking up this virus. Yeah, it's like that old TV ad that where it's like, I told two people, and they told two people, and they told two people. I mean, they are creating a worldwide epidemic. Exactly. I wrote this down. This is an epidemic. There are tens of thousands of people who are exposed to this the next morning, or at least several thousand. That speech takes place at night, and they don't get the antidote till the next day. Like, this has gone worldwide. This is the simian flu. This is the precursor to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> but the only two people that we see who've been cured are the, uh, you know, the original mom and dad. Well, what about the other 
9,998 people who've been <laughs> exposed to this indirectly. Maybe they have Gianni hooked up in like a blood bag, like from Blade Trinity, <laughs> and they're just siphoning his blood off as cure. Mad Max. How do they find like chemists and biologists that would be able to like extract his blood and figure out this antidote like this quickly anyway? This is ridiculous. This whole, yeah, from that bad CGI plane on, this, this film really crashes hard. <laughs> like the plane. Yeah. And, is Frank taking flowers then to Audrey? I mean, she tried to sleep with him earlier, and Frank is a good guy who isn't going to sleep with a drunk woman, and so he turns her down, but he's coming with flowers, and then when he sees Audrey reconnecting with Jefferson, he just drops the flowers down and leaves. Was he thinking about, you know, becoming a surrogate father to Jack and sticking around long term? I actually think there was a moment there where he figured that if he walked in that room, distracted the kid from the dad, who now apparently wants to be part of his life, I think he just wanted to not complicate things. Now, was he going there? Yeah, I don't think those flowers were for Jefferson, but I think once he saw the family back together, knowing the struggles that the wife was having, he must have just been like, ah, I'm walking away. Yeah, that's how I took it. It's just let him be a family. I don't know if he's going there to seduce a sick woman at the hospital. I think it was more, well, this family's come back together. There's no point for me to get involved. All right. Well, if the end of the movie crashed, did the rest of it stay in flight? Jacob, Jerry, do you recommend Transporter 2? Jacob. I'll say that I appreciated the tone of this one a bit more it seemed a bit more steady which was yeah it was a comic book as a film and i feel like basan like that's kind of his thing like again fifth element lucy this is in that same vein where it's these kind of ludicrous premises but maybe you could kind of go with it do i go with it Ah, uh, this last act really loses me. It gets really shoddy with that airplane and, and all its loop-de-loops and this just the logistics of how the day was supposed to be saved here. It's like a comic book, and I like comic books, but this is a bad comic book. And again, a bit more enjoyable. There were some legit laughs for me in this one. I really liked that hose scene that was straight out of a Jackie Chan film. Statham pulls that off. But uh, I know the plot's not the main thing here, but it's so distracting to me because they're so absurd. And they're not even done well. They're not even constructed well. They set up things that never pay off. Things show up that were never set up. It's still a not recommend for me. Jerry. Yeah, see, I felt like this movie went too much in the direction and just a direction that doesn't work for me of being the comic book level of plausibility yeah hey there are some things that are not plausible but the first movie but there are more logic issues here we're just taking things that just couldn't physically happen and making them the shining moments for our heroes i think jason statham is great in this movie i enjoy him and his persona and his action agree with jacob i like the fights in here i like what he does from an action perspective, but I just think the movie's too ridiculous. It's like they took the first movie being a little over the top, comparatively speaking, and said, hey, we got to amp it up to 11, and they made everything ridiculous around it, and I just didn't dig it. It just, at some point, took me out of it. Like I said, it literally took me out of it the first time I tried to watch this, and 2008, whenever that was, it was on TV, like I said, and that little car underbody to the crane knocking the bomb off. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to go find something else to do. And that's what I'm going to recommend other people do. There's, is it a bad movie? Uh, you know, you're probably not going to hate it, but you probably have a catalog of hundreds of other action movies you're dying to see. Go see one of them. So for me, this is a mild not recommend. 
I'm going to stand alone, I guess. I'm going to give this, again, a weak recommend. Yes, there are a lot of other better action films. There aren't a lot of other better Jason Statham action films. I think that I'll agree with Jacob Crank and Crank 2 are miles above these, but the ones I've seen, Italian Job, Revolver, 13, I mean, these aren't great movies either. So if you like to see Jason Statham cut loose, and one thing I've really noticed in both these first two films is how young Jason Statham looks compared to like Furious 7. I'm just so used to seeing him with the deep set crow's feet and wrinkles all over. And in the first one, I honestly didn't recognize him. I'm like, who is that actor? Where's Jason Statham? <laughs> and so if you want to see him in his prime doing his best stunts, because he didn't do like hardly any stunts in Furious 7. He was blue screened driving a car. <laughs> but here he's kicking ass. He's not even bothering taking names because of rule number two. And I like the fights. I like the action. And I'm laughing at or with this movie. Either way, I'm entertained. I mean, you bring out an oozy packed mama in garters and a bra. This is down to the grindhouse level of cinema, just being remade with slick, although admittedly extraordinarily cheap CGI. I went along for the ride, no pun intended, and I Weekly recommend the international cut of this film because, yeah, that CGI makes snakes on a plane look good. But there's only one more transporter film left to do, and it's the highest grossing of the trilogy. Well, one more Jason Statham transporter left to do. That is true. That is true. There is the new film, but as for what is out of the trilogy, we have one more to go. Transporter 3 came out a couple years later. Judging by your comments from these two podcasts, I'm taking it you're not pedal to the metal to watch these. I do think two is a marginal improvement. So maybe, you know, I haven't hated these films, but they're just all over the place. If they could tighten it up, if they could have a better story, maybe, but it's all, it's Bassan coming back. So who knows? It's Jason Statham will turn into some weird gun and who knows what he'll do in this film. Bassan is coming back, but Leterrier is not. He's being replaced by Oliver Megaton, which is an awesome name for an action director. Is that like McGee? <laughs> like Megaton? Okay, I'm intrigued. Actually, his birth name was Olivier Fontana, and now he's Olivier Megaton. But it's still awesome. <laughs> and he did Taken 2, Taken 3, Columbiana. So we're getting some new blood there. Uh, all films that I was <laughs> eh, on, so... Yeah, I'm, I guess because of my reaction to two, I'm not pedal to the metal three, but again, Jason Statham, I'm definitely going to sit down and watch it. We're in far different spots though, because, you know, I saw, because of Jason Statham, I saw Crank in theaters and I hated it. I thought it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You guys praise it. You're down Italian job, which I enjoy a lot. Heck, I like Statham in The Expendable, so we're on the complete opposite spectrum of Statham here, so who knows what's going to happen with our reactions on three. And I do really have to say, I like, yeah, there are films he's in that I don't like, like Expendables. I'd have to go back and just pay attention to his performance to see how he does it. And I have a reaction to that film. He doesn't necessarily stand out. He may be great in it. I just don't like the films. But I have more or less enjoyed Statham in these films. They're just 
Everything else around him has not been good. If they could fix that, I could recommend one, maybe. Maybe they can do that next week, or maybe they can do that in two weeks when we review the reboot. Maybe the problem all along for you is Statham. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not possible. In the meantime, though, we're going to also be reviewing other foreign films. I mean, Transporters count as foreign films, right? I wasn't able to understand the first one. (laughs) I was surprised when I opened the wiki pages and it says, Transport, Transporter 2 is a 2005 French film. I'm like, really? I I had no idea. Well, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting another foreign film duology, Battle Royale. It is the kickoff of our fall 2015 donation series at the silver level. Yeah, our first foreign language film, at least. We had to watch that one with subtitles because none of us speak Japanese. But yeah, that's the kickoff to... Well, we're going to do that because there's people that claim Battle Royale. That's what the Hunger Games was based on, or they borrowed a lot. So we're going to watch those and then go into Hunger Games as our silver level donation. Yes, there's a lot of time in between those, though. We're doing Battle Royale in early September. We're doing the Hunger Games when the next one comes out in November. So in between, we're going to be doing a whole lot of Quentin Tarantino. His movie Hateful Eight is coming out at Christmas, probably just in L.A. and New York. It's coming out in January every place else. We are going to be reviewing, for the gold level donation, every Tarantino film directed. So for $25 or more, you're going to get all of Tarantino's films, plus Hunger Games and Battle Royale. It is the most podcast we've ever offered at the gold level $25 donation. And if you want to go even deeper into Tarantino's catalog for the platinum level donation of $35 or more, we're even doing the major films he was involved in but didn't direct. Those being True Romance, Natural Born Killers, From Dusk Till Dawn, Four Rooms, where he only did a segment. You can find out all the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. But all of those start September 8th. So sign up and get our Battle Royale review the day it's released. And remember, it's your support that keeps us going. In three weeks, we start our massive Star Wars retrospective series. And it's going to be in-depth, long conversations about one of the most popular film franchises of all time. And we thought we'd never get to it. A, because we thought they'd never make another one. And B, we've been podcasting for so many years. We're coming up on our ninth year of podcasting. And it's because of donations from listeners that we've been able to keep going. So we'd appreciate your support. And we hope you enjoy these bonus podcasts as part of our fall donation series. So Jacob, Jerry, thank you for joining me. And until next week, au revoir, my friends. Coney, it's me. Get out of the house. Oh, no. I was just pressing the Madeleines. Forget the Madeleines. Just get out. And go where? Anywhere. The beach. Go to the beach. Oh, the beach. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. What's in this for you? Pleasure. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. I don't like to be late. Well, would you rather be late or dead? 
Also on our site, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews of film series such as The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Terminator, Rocky, Robocop, Punisher, Mad Max, and more. You mind heaven? Actually, you're in a bit of the shit. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Well, I said drop in any time, but I didn't mean nowhere else to go. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. You think this is the first time someone's held a gun to my head? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. 10 minutes past the deadline. If the money doesn't arrive, I'd send a finger. 20 minutes. Aha. Sounds like we have a deal, don't we, Mr. You have a deal. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't think of this as just another job. Think of it as a mission. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always say the way a man treats his car is how he treats himself. Now Playing's Transporter Retrospective Series is edited by Heath, Anthony, and Arnie. We're going to need more men. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. My boss said you're the man for the job. The Transporter films are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. <laughs> I like that. Rules. You can't get anything done in the world without rules. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I'm still wondering if I want to know everything or nothing about you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's over, Frank. It's over. Mission accomplished. I don't know why I keep bringing up Paul Reiser. You've been doing a Mad About You marathon or something? Or? <laughs> I haven't thought about Paul Reiser in years. Well, Aliens, when you guys did that. Yeah, that was years ago. That was like 2009. <laughs> Maybe 2010. And I also like, again, the comedic signs. Signs? So Frank goes off to the next job. So Frank goes off to the next job. So Frank goes off to the next... Shit! <laughs> Now say it like a French inspector. Maybe that'll help. And Frank goes off to the next job. It makes creme boulet. I guess this film's about as French as before midnight, right? <laughs> I could have used au revoir as my closing line there, too. Transporter 2, transport harder. <laughs> to transport. <laughs> transporter 2, the wrath of Frank. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's the Transporter 2, but we don't transport anything. <laughs> yeah, Transporter 2, Electric Boogaloo, that rhymes. Ele electric Boogaloo, yeah. <laughs> Transporter 2, The Search for Jack. Transporter 2, Hybrid Boogaloo.